We're going to be talking about the blessings versus the curse, talking about Balaam. Now, last week, we started a two-part series on the power of God's blessing versus the uh, enemy's curse, and we're taking it out of the life of Balaam. Okay, now, for a review, if you will remember now, the children of Israel were coming toward the Promised Land, and Balak, now king of Moab, this is modern-day Jordan, they heard that the Israelites were coming, and they were terrified. Now, there were so many Israelites that he thought he was going to wipe everything off the face of the earth. So he called on Balaam, a soothsayer from way up north near the Euphrates River, and he said, you must come quickly. I need you. This great company of people now is coming, and they literally cover the earth. I can imagine that's what it looked like. He said, they're going to lick up everything in sight if they're not stopped. And so King Balak said, I need you to come and I need you to curse them. Now, King Balak knew that the nation of the Amorites had gone out to fight Israel and they had literally been wiped off the map. They had been utterly, utterly defeated. So he decided that he would defeat Israel now with demonic spiritual power. Now, King Balak knew that Balaam wasn't just a fly-by-night spiritist. He knew that. Balaam had quite a reputation for being one of the best spiritists known in the country, anywhere around. They knew Balaam's name. And King Balak knew that he needed the best, so he sent his officials with the fee now for divination to be done because Balaam was in it for the money. Now, the New Testament said that Balaam was full of greed, and he was. Now, I said last week that one commentary said that Balaam was a curious mixture of good and evil. He said that Balaam was open to the spiritual realm, and he could hear God, but his heart was evil, and so he would always give out a mixed message. He wasn't hearing clearly. Now, Balaam could say a lot of right things, but he didn't live it because he was a a very greedy man. He was out for anything personal, personal gain that he could get. So he would have been more than willing to curse the Israelites for King Balak. He wouldn't have minded doing that, but he kept saying that he could only speak the words of God over the Israelites because God had blessed them. And he couldn't curse what God had blessed. So he knew the word. He knew it well. Now that fact alone should make our hearts rejoice to realize the power now of the blessing. There is an unbelievable power in the blessings of God. And in Numbers 22, verse 22, we're still doing a little background now on the, on the story. God was very angry with, with Balaam because of his evil desire. He, he wanted to curse the people. And so God was very upset about that. So God's going to give him three unique warnings that he could never forget. Now, if you'll remember the first time the donkey sees the angel with the drawn sword, uh, he's ready to kill Balaam. This is in verse 23. So the donkey runs out into the open field trying to get away, and Balaam has to strike her with, with a stick to get her back where she needs to be. Now, the next time in verse 24, they're going through a narrow pathway with a wall on each side, and when the donkey sees the angel this time, The donkey can't run away, so she just presses herself against the wall so tightly that she mashes Balaam's foot. And, of course, he's furious when this happens. He thinks that his donkey's crazy, so he strikes her again. Now, Balaam completely ignores all the warning signals that God's trying to give. And the third time the donkey sees the angel, it's in verse 27, and this time there's no place for him to go. So he just lays down with Balaam on her back. Poor donkey, I tell you what, she's in a dilemma. You know, she sees the angel, she's trying to get away. And that's when God opened the mouth of the donkey. And in verse 28, then the donkey begins to talk to Balaam and question, why did you hit me? So Balaam is so angry that he doesn't even stop to realize how unusual it is for a donkey to be talking to him. He's so angry, he just answers the donkey. And now before it's over, 
King Balak now is going to take Balaam to three different vantage points overlooking this huge mass of two to three million Israelites. And from each point, King Balak is going to beg Balaam to curse the people. But Balaam wouldn't do it because he had seen the angel by this time. And he saw that angel had a sword that was drawn and he knew the angel would kill him. And so he wasn't ready to die quite yet. In fact, not only could he not cursed the people, but when he opened his mouth to prophesy, he was actually pronouncing a blessing on God's people. And uh, you can imagine, King Balak was furious. He's brought him to curse the people, and every time he opens his mouth, Balaam opens his mouth, and he gives a blessing over Israel. Now, after the third time, in chapter 24, verse 25, Balaam went back to his people up north, and Balak just went to Moab, went home. Now, at this point where we left off, it appears that Balaam was a pretty good man. You know, you'd get that impression. Some people just read that one story about Balaam, and they say, well, he, he was a prophet of God. He was a pretty good prophet. He prophesied, and he did only what God told him to do. But it was only because he couldn't openly curse without a cause what God had blessed. But he wasn't about to give up. He was going to get that silver and gold that had been promised to him, and he was going to get that place of honor. He wanted that. King Balak had promised it, and he was going to get it one way or another. So he just decided he would accomplish the same curse in a more subtle way because Satan had put an evil plan in his mind. Now, perhaps he thought God would never know he did it because he didn't know that much about God. So he just thought, well, if it's done in secret, God will never know it. Well, it's amazing how we think we can fool God when we're fooling no one but ourselves. Now, you know, man must be subconsciously thinking that they're fooling God. Otherwise, I don't think man would be doing some of the things that he does. So he must think that he's fooling God in some way. Because if he really believed that God knew what he was doing, I think people would stop and take notice of what they were doing. Now, we don't know exactly how much time passes between chapter 24 and 25, but a a certain amount of time passes. And it's during this time now that Balaam begins to put his plan to work. Now, there's three scriptures in the New Testament that gives us a little more detail about Balaam's evil plan. We find in 2 Peter 2 verse 15 that Peter talks about people who have forsaken the right way and have gone astray. And then he says they've gone astray following after the way of Balaam who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So, you know, it's pretty sad when you've done something so bad that even New Testament writers years later are still talking about you and calling you by name. Now, he's talking about people who have love of money and they betray God for personal gain. And sadly, there are a lot of people who do that. Then in Jude 1, verse 11, Jude tells us basically the same thing that that Peter has told us. In verse 11, he says, Woe to them who have gone after pay and rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. So he's calling attention to that again. So it's obvious now that Balaam's downfall was money and power, and uh, it was whatever he could gain physically. Now, he was to be well paid to bring a curse on the people of Israel, but he couldn't just go out and pronounce a curse because God's blessing would override that. So Balaam had to do it another way. And in Revelation 2, verse 14, the book of Revelation makes it very clear what method Balaam chose to use to curse Israel. In Revelation 2, verse 14, where this says it all, it says, but I have a few things against you. This is God talking. Because you have some who hold to the teachings of Balaam, 
who kept teaching King Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So Revelation has given us a little more detail about Balaam, things that we didn't know. So we know that he was guilty of putting a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. We also know that he was teaching people to eat things that had been sacrificed to idols, and these were both an abomination to God's people. Now, this is the part that we can really apply to our lives. It says that Balaam taught King Balak how to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. Okay, now what was the stumbling block that he put? Okay, now it was twofold. I want to look again at verse 14. He tried to cause them to stumble by trying to get them into idolatry, putting something above the throne of God, and then also by trying to get them to be immoral. Now, these two things were not just happen chance. It was not just happen chance that Israel fell into this sin. It was a well-thought-out plan. And so Satan had used Balaam, a man who mixed the things of God with the things of Satan, and his motives were impure. And Satan used Balaam now to teach the king how to entice the people to sin. Now, he's come up with that evil plan, and I could just see him sitting down and telling King Balak, okay, now this is what you're going to have to do. Now, the New Testament clearly condemns the one who puts a temptation before God's people to try to get them now to compromise their, their moral and their spiritual conduct. Now, there are people today who will try to tempt you to compromise. In the Word, they call it the teachings of Balaam, because that's exactly what Balaam did. People have learned what he did from the enemy, from the same enemy. And we need to be very careful not to fall for it. We also need to be careful not to be the one through whom now these temptations come. So we're going to go back now to Numbers chapter 25. And we find that time has passed and Balaam has instructed King Balak what to do. We don't know how much time passed, but we know he sat down and he gave him the plan. And evidently, uh, King Balak thought this is a good plan. And so verses 1 through 3, while Israel remained at Chittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. Okay, his plan was have a party for the children of Israel. Give them something that they'll enjoy. And uh, for they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. They didn't just invite them to come and eat, have dinner with them, but they invited them to come and watch them make sacrifices to their gods. And the people ate, and then the people, the Israelite people who went to their party, bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal, and the Lord was very angry against Israel. He had protected them all those other times, and then now here they've fallen for this evil plan. Now, God didn't bring a curse on the people. It wasn't even Satan that brought a curse on the people. They brought a curse on themselves when they yielded to the temptation. And it was a well-planned uh, out scheme of the enemy. And the Israelites knew better, but they fell for it. And verse 9 lets us know that before it was over, 24,000 Israeli are going to die from the plague the plague that they brought on themselves from what they sowed. Okay, now we don't know what the plague was. It may have been some kind of venereal disease, but we do know that 24,000 died from it. And you say, well, how do you know for sure that Balaam was the one who instructed King Balak what to do? Because at the end of chapter 24, Balak was angry with Balaam and had sent him home, you know, and they had parted ways. And um, so that's why it's important to study the overall picture and not just a few isolated scriptures, because you're going to have to have the overall picture to, to get the truth. Well, first of all, in Revelation 2.14, it tells us that Balaam taught Balak what to do. He instructed him. And then just a few chapters back, 
the writer of Numbers tells us very plainly that Balaam was the one who formed the plan. And that's what Peter and John and Jude refer to in the New Testament. Now, sometimes when you're studying a certain subject, if you'll write different cross-references out in the margin, then you've made your own little commentary from the Bible itself, and it makes Bible study so much fun. It's fun to start a subject and use your reference books and get all the scriptures and pull them all together and get the whole story. Now, after the 24,000 die, the children of Israel repent and they come back to God and they do warfare and then they kill their betrayers. Then sadly, in Numbers 31, verse 16, behold, these caused the Israelites by the counsel of Balaam to trespass and act treacherously against the Lord in the matter of Peor as a plague came among the congregation of the Lord. And then in Numbers 31, verse 8, Balaam didn't live to enjoy his riches. You know, I mean, that's all he was wanting was fame and riches. And that's what happens. People go after these things of the enemy, and they never live really to enjoy them. And he was slain by the sword. Okay, I want us to analyze the counsel of Balaam for just a moment. What did he counsel King Balak to do? Okay, he used infiltration. I want you to hear this. That means to find a person's weak place, the weak place of the opponent, in order to attack that certain person from within. I want to say that again. Infiltration means that you find a person's weak place or a nation's weak place and then go through that weak place and attack them from within. Now, it's the intermixing of two different people groups as a battle strategy. Now, when you study military history, we find that infiltration has been a method that's been used by nations often. And that's nice for them. They think it's perfect because they never have to go to war. They can do it from the inside. Communism used this in the Baltic countries. This was so sad because they didn't overthrow the Baltic countries by force. They sent in communistic people to live among the people. And sometimes when the enemy has a plan, he doesn't go in and try to make it happen in two weeks or even two years. He plans to get there until he infiltrates the place. And so they sent these communistic people in and they got into the school system. They were there for a long time. They started teaching in the school. They were teaching the children. Well, what better way? Train these children up. And, and instead of in the way they should go, they were training them up in the way they wanted them to go. And they began to intermix and mingle until the people became seduced from within with communism. And we find that people in communism, that's the way they have overtaken different places many times. They didn't do it with war. They did it with this infiltration. Now, that's one of Satan's favorite tricks because it works so well. Now, he's certainly been trying to do that in the U.S., you know, it, it makes us so sad, and, and it's just unbelievable when we, when we see what the enemy has done just in the last few years, seducing all ages into new ages, one of his ways, and he's doing it from within our country. Now, the reason I want you to see this plan of Balaam is because this is how Satan fights against us today. Satan's not wanting to necessarily go out and have this huge battle where everybody gets killed. He wants to come in, in in very subtle ways and do it underneath the covers where some people don't even recognize it. But we need to know his strategy. We need to be watching for it. Now, Balaam could not curse whom God had blessed. So he told King Balak, I'm going to tell you what will work. 
He said, I've thought on this a while. I know what's going to work. Invite God's people to party around with you. Get them to mix and mingle with your people. Entice them to just loosen up a little and have a little worldly fun with you. Get them involved with what you're doing. And when they get out from under God's authority, they're going to die. Then the curse will come on them. Uh, He knew exactly how how to pull them down. So Moab invited the people to their sacrifice, and they came. So Satan's plan that he gave to Balaam, it works. It, It works, sadly, every time until a person is smart enough to be hearing God and say, no, we recognize this plan of the enemy, and we're not falling for it. Okay, now let me tell you, it's not happen chance now. When a family moves into a new city, and they put their children into the school system, it will so often be the wrong crowd, the drug users, who come to make friends with them. We see this happen over and over. There, it's, the, it's the wrong crowd that reaches out to befriend these newcomers. And that's no accident. And these newcomers, they don't have any friends. They're in a new place, so they're just happy somebody's paying attention to them. And that's the plan of the enemy. And it's of the teaching of Balaam. The Bible tells us that. And that's why we need to continually cover our children with the blood. We need to continually be watching for who their friends are. And with God's help, direct them in the right directions and stand as their protection, you know, from that kind of thing. Well, that's what happened here. They invited Israel to come to sacrifice and to celebrate. And that's where Israel made her first mistake because God had called her to be a separate nation. God had called her to be separate and set apart from the other nations. They were to be separated from the world. And Israel knew that. That was not new to her. She should never have fallen for that because she knew better. So don't ever be deceived into thinking that you can witness to somebody by getting down on their level or joining with them in their sin. A lot of people think, oh, I've got to get with them. I've got to get close to them so they'll begin to trust me. No, we, we can never witness to somebody by getting down on their level. It won't work. It's the lie of the enemy. Now, some people will argue and say, well, how can you win a sinner, you know, uh, until you get down on his level and let him know that you're one of the gang, you know, drink a beer with him, you know, win his confidence, and then you can pull him up. Well, that's a lie of the enemy. That kind of thinking sounds really good to the intellect. It sounds so reasonable that people fall for it. But the Bible in Revelation calls this kind of thinking the teaching of Balaam. And the Bible warns very heavily against it. Now, the teaching of Balaam, in a nutshell, is the enticement to get people down on the level of the world. That's what it's all about, to try to get God's people down on the level of the world and intermix with worldly people. Now, you're never going to pull anyone up when you get down on his level and participate in the things of the world. That won't happen. Not only does it ruin your witness and destroy your credibility, but it always pulls the Christian into sin. I've never seen it where it worked any other way. And it opens the door to the curse every single time. Now, when we think we're strong enough to do that, what we're doing, we're fighting ourselves because we have to leave God behind to do that. I want to say that again because it's so important. To be able to witness and be a witness that way, we have to leave God behind to do it. We don't ever want to leave God behind to try to do the work of God. That's ridiculous. It's one of Satan's favorite tricks because it works every time. Now, God had warned the children of Israel to be separate and not mix with the sins of the world. 
And we know that. That's a very simple commandment, but that's the only way we're going to win. But I'm sure this invitation seemed very inviting to these people. This was a pleasant change from the hostility that they had been getting from other nations. All the other nations were trying to kill them. And here you have a group of people who are saying, oh, we want to be friends with you. Come. We, we want you to be happy. Join with us. And so it was a chance now to have a little fun, and they probably thought, after all, we've been cooped up in this wilderness for years. Surely one night out's not going to hurt. Have you heard that before? Oh, just one time. It's not really that sinful. This one time's not going to hurt. That's one of the favorite things that the enemy tries to put in their ear. So they went to the sacrifice knowing full well that it was an abomination. And they ate with their new friends, and finally, they even bowed down to their gods. And their one night out turned in to be two nights and then a third night. Now, chapter 25, verse 6 lets us know that they joined into the prostitution with them. And God was very angry because in so doing, what they did, they cursed themselves. After all God had done to protect them from the curse, and now they've cursed themselves. Okay, now the New Testament brought this concept forward to let us know we can't live like the world lives and we can't do what the world does and stay protected. It's impossible. I want to say that again because it's so important. We can't live like the world lives. We can't do what the world does. We have to be separated out to be the children of God. Now, Jesus did not set us free so that we could sin. He set us free not to have to sin anymore. He set us free so that we could be the light of the world to these people. Now, I said I had two objectives for this Bible study. One objective was to see how the curse comes in. We need to ask ourselves, do I know how the curse comes through every time? We need to train ourselves and, and be aware of that. Yes, ultimately, the curse comes from the enemy, but we're usually too quick to blame it all on the enemy. Satan can tempt us, but he can't put a curse on us without a cause. And that's exactly what Proverbs 26.2 says, a curse without a cause cannot alight. So number one, we don't have to fear what Satan can do to us. He cannot do one thing unless we give him permission. And sadly, as Christians, we're giving him permission time and time again. God is showing us these things so clearly in the Word of God, but we have to listen. And number two, God is certainly not going to be the one to curse us. He died to redeem us from the curse. So we know that Satan can't curse us. He can't just come along and put a curse on us. God's not going to curse us. And we decide. It's up to us. The decision comes back and lands on us. God can't God won't. I mean, Satan can't. God won't. And we decide whether we're going to take the blessing or the curse. So we need to memorize that, you know. And you say, well, what about those curses that we're born with? Well, when that happens, we know someone up the bloodline decided to open the door to Satan before that curse could have come in. But once the door's been opened, and you need to hear me on this, we can decide whether we're going to remain under that curse or not. We don't have to stay there. It's still our decision, and God does make a way of escape. Even if a curse has been handed down through our bloodline, we can come to a place where we say, no, I'm doing it God's way. Now, life and blessing are death and the curse. Those are our two choices. God says, I'm giving you life, I'll give you blessing, or you can choose death and the curse. And they've been placed in the hands of the believer, so we can choose. It's up to us. Now, I started this Bible study by saying that a lot of people get so fearful of the curse when the curses are mentioned. Listen, we need to realize that, that they need to be afraid of us. It's so wrong when a Christian is afraid of the curse, when a Christian is afraid of, of the occult, afraid of these things. They need to be afraid of us. If we know who we are in Christ, and if we're seeking to live in the ways of God, then 
they need to be afraid of us. If we know these things, then they will be afraid of us. And they will be drawn to the things of God if we steadfastly determine, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm not afraid of the enemy. I'm doing it God's way. Jack tells the story that at state school, he used to go to state school every week, a couple of boys threatened to put a curse on him or a hex. And Jack said, no, you can't. I have the blood of Jesus on me. So when the next week when Jack came back, those guys, he had their full attention because the curse didn't work. And they were absolutely shocked. See, under the old covenant, the blessing was so powerful that the curse was powerless. And that's why they were to separate themselves unto God. And it kept the curses powerless. How much more that's true under our new covenant when we release faith for it and when we decide not to fall for Satan's temptation. Because when we fall for it, we're cursing ourselves. It's not God doing it. It's not the enemy doing it. We do it to ourselves. So we need to change our focus from the curse and begin to focus on the power of God's blessing. We need to continually talk to ourselves about that. Listen, we haven't even scratched the surface of understanding the power of the blessing. I mean, we think we know a little bit, oh yeah, uh, there's a blessing, uh, power in God's blessings. And, and we'll say that, but we haven't even scratched the surface to know the power that God has for us. And God is looking for a people who not only allows him to bless them, but a people who will also pass that blessing on. Now, in the Abrahamic covenant, God said, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's God's plan. That's his will. God wanted Israel's enemies. He wanted Moab and the Amorites and the Midianites. He wanted them to bless Israel. And he wanted them to give them water and let them pass through their land. And if they had done that, they would have been blessed. That's all it would have taken, you know. He also wanted Israel to bless Moab back there by being a good witness. He didn't want Israel to join Moab and act like the world. Now, we are to be the salt of the earth. That's what we're told. We're to be the salt of the earth. We're to be separated. We're to be a preserver. We're to be a light in the world. You know, we're to be blessed and then pass that blessing on. God blesses us so we can pass it on. Now, in 1 Peter 3, verse 9, did you know that you are called by God for the very purpose of giving and receiving a blessing. That's our purpose. God says, I want to bless you so you can in turn be a blessing to the world. And that's the purpose for which we're called. But so many Christians don't know that it's so simple. God's saying, I want to bless you. I want to bless the socks off of you so you can turn around and be a blessing to the world and show the world who I am. Oh God, help us to see what our purpose is. Help us not to go through life just confused, not even know who we are or what we're supposed to do. Well, that, that's such an abomination. Lord, I thank you. We belong to you, and we want to take your love, your joy, your peace, your word, everything you are, Lord, and we want to pass it on to the world. That is our calling. We're here for that reason, to get as many people into the kingdom of God as we possibly can. And Father, we can do it if we just submit totally to you and allow you to use us for your kingdom. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And I thank you, Lord, that you take these Old Testament stories and you teach us so much if we'll just read them and realize what, what you're saying to us and abide by it. In Jesus' name, amen.